Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm William Brent, Chief Campaign Officer of Power for All. We're joined on this episode by Shonali Pachauri, Acting Program Director of the Transitions to New Technologies Program at the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. Boy, that's a mouthful. Also known as IASA, which is based in Vienna. Dr. Pachauri researches the role of technological, institutional, and social innovations for inclusive human development, particularly for populations without access to basic infrastructures and services. Her work explores policy pathways for achieving universal access to basic services and technologies and assessing the wider impacts of this for sustainable development. She has published extensively on these topics both in the form of scientific peer-reviewed articles and policy reports. Our topic of conversation, a new framework to measure energy poverty. The framework was developed by IASF with the aim of finding an alternative to other indicators that track our progress towards achieving Sustainable Development Goal 7. But before we find out more on that, a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, powerfall.org, and our platform for energy access knowledge. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Powerfall, you can make donation make a donation from our homepage. With that, welcome Shonali. Thank you, William. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, we're interested to dig into this new paper, but also a lot of other work I know you've done on the topic of measuring uh, energy poverty. Uh, so on, on the fact that you've developed this alternative framework, the, the fact that you did means that there are currently other options already out there for measuring this development impact. Can you talk about what those other options are and why you felt the need to put another framework out there? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, focus on sort of defining, uh, measuring and tracking energy poverty and energy access are now a couple of decades old. And uh, this space has been evolving with new developments. Uh, But at the global level, currently for the SDG framework in particular, uh, we have quite simple indicators that are used to track energy poverty. So we have kind of these binary indicators that basically measure whether people have access to a connection for electricity or access to clean cooking services in their homes. And uh, these are kind of yes-no indicators that don't really tell you all that much about the quality of that access, the reliability of that access, and whether people are really enjoying the benefits of the energy services that the modern energy can provide. And therefore there have been efforts really to expand the indicator set and really enjoy to basically to try to get some of these other dimensions of access measured and tracked. And a part of that effort has been something that the World Bank has been leading, which is this multi-tier framework, which is really sort of trying to broaden the scope of measuring and tracking energy poverty by looking at uh, multiple dimensions of the issue and uh, going beyond just binary measurement to consider different tiers of access. And while the MTF, uh, the multi-tier framework, has sort of made huge strides in this area, it's now quite complex and, and, and 
really data needy in order to apply it. And so we wanted to apply, sort of develop this new alternative framework as a way to simplify the MTF in some ways, and also to sort of improve upon it uh, so that it becomes easier for countries to apply it, even with limited data. Uh, And so that's sort of uh, the genesis of the idea for this alternative framework that we defined. And a couple of key things it does is it basically uh, differentiates between two important aspects of access. So one is uh, access related to uh, the provision of su- or the supply of energy. And the other is sort of aspects related to the home. So basically, you know, uh, conditions of the home. And I think sort of differentiating these two aspects is important because the policies that you will need to address energy poverty then can be directed uh, more to where uh, the issues are. The other important thing is we've kind of reduced the number of dimensions and also the tiers by which you differentiate different levels of energy poverty. Mm-hmm. So you sort of answered my next question, which is how your framework fundamentally differs from uh, the MTF. And the MTF, uh, for those of uh, the listeners who aren't uh, fully aware of it, it has a, a ranking of uh, tier of access from one to five, with one being the most basic and five being, I think, 24-7 uh, access to electricity. So is this new framework that you're talking about, does it have a similar tiered ranking of one to five or how how have you gone about it? Yeah. So as I, as I mentioned, we, we kind of simplified this. So we, we talked about sort of uh, three basic tiers, uh, you know, three to four basic tiers, uh, basically those who don't have anything, then those who have kind of very minimal access, those who have basic access, and then those who are sort of have much better access in terms of being able to meet the needs that they have. And so basically, instead of the five to six tiers that the MTF has, we have, you know, three tiers in most cases. And then also in terms of the dimensions, I mean, the MTF, depending on which energy service you're considering, uh, if you're considering electricity in homes, for example, then it differentiates between, I think, seven dimensions. We kind of collapse that again. And we've basically focused on four to five dimensions that are the ones that are really critical, uh, that literature suggests are the most important. So reliability, affordability, uh, services that the energy is providing and so on. And so you've applied the the framework, I understand, in the new paper to data from India, Rwanda, and Ethiopia so far to assess uh, access. Can you tell us a bit about what you found and how that's different from the MTF or other other frameworks out there. Um, what what were the main takeaways? Um, yeah, so um, you know, basically, William, we found that actually uh, one of the things that the MTF and and some of the other measurement frameworks out there are not capturing as well. Uh, and of course, the binary indicator uh, for the SDG tracking is, is really limited in this capacity, uh, is that there's actually a lot more diversity in the energy circumstances among the energy poor. Uh, and so even though uh, the MTF has like these five, six tiers, uh, at the bottom end of the energy distribution, they're not really capturing the diversity as much. And, and so, you know, 
by our alternative framework, we, we try to capture that a little bit better. Uh, another key difference is that the MTF and, and some of the other frameworks out there, they focus on electricity consumption as a way of capturing uh, the variation in electricity services that households enjoy. But uh, we, we found that actually electricity consumption is quite a poor indicator of, of the, this variation because, um, you know, the efficiency of these appliances that people are using and how they're being used, uh, what length they're being run, this varies a lot between different sets of households. And so, uh, you know, we in our framework suggest measuring uh, access to energy services using the proxy of appliance ownership and considering sort of key appliances that meet specific uh, energy service needs. And, uh, you know, this is a better way of capturing some of it. And then f- the final difference is really in how affordability is is measured. So uh, within the MTF and many of the other um, indicators that are out there, it's normally affordability is measured as sort of a share of expenditure, the share of expenditure on electricity to the whole budget expenditure of the household. Uh, And of course, this is, you know, a simple way of capturing affordability. But in fact, we find that, you know, the cost of appliances is often a bigger barrier for households to enjoy services than the, you know, the energy cost per se, or the electricity cost. So sort of capturing that a cost of appliances um, uh, is sort of more in tune with sort of the cash flow constraints also that poorer households face. Yeah, that's very interesting to expand beyond just the, the connectivity aspect, the connection aspect into uh, appliances and ownership. I think that's a great insight. Um, so, but specifically, or let's say, you know, Ethiopia, one of the most uh, countries in sub-Saharan Africa with the highest, one of the highest populations of unelectrified. Did you look at, at, at sort of a head-to-head comparison between what you found in using your framework and what the MTF found and, and compare those two uh, and take away any specific, like, are there any concrete numbers that would illustrate how applying your framework versus the MTF would, would change those numbers? Yeah, particularly for countries like Ethiopia and Rwanda in sub-Saharan Africa, we found that really with the MTF, this consumption-based measurement of access to services was uh, really quite different from what we see when we apply the service-based lens of appliance ownership. And so, you know, in terms of the shares of population that fall into different what we would consider different tiers, those that are sort of decent and beyond are really below 20, 30% of those who are electrified. Whereas with the MTF, one one sees that, you know, the consumption level is low, but that doesn't really tell you all that much about what services these households enjoy. Uh, And similarly, when one looks at the affordability dimension, The MTF framework sort of suggests that a large fraction of the population uh, in in Ethiopia actually doesn't have any issues of affordability uh, because they they are spending less than 5% of their budget on on electric 
electricity expenditures. But if you, in fact, include the cost of appliances, discounted cost of appliances, which we do in this affordability metric, then we see a much larger fraction of Ethiopians really not being able to afford basic electricity services. So, so what I'm hearing, if I understand you correctly, is that, so we're, we're, you know, I think everybody already has recognized very openly that we're far off track in terms of achieving SDG 7 by 2030. I think that's, that's widely recognized and acknowledged. What I, what I think I'm hearing you say is that we're even further away than we think we are. Yeah, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, when we start measuring uh, energy access and energy poverty in these sort of broader, multidimensional uh, ways, then it's very clear that, you know, the official statistics, even though those are quite dismal, uh, they are only capturing those that have a connection uh, and not really capturing uh, what kind of level of services those households are enjoying or the reliability of the services that these households enjoy. And so, in fact, you know, in other work that we've done where we've really tried for sub-Saharan Africa to to look at satellite-based data sets to track and measure energy and electricity poverty, we actually in that work estimate that for all of sub-Saharan Africa, I mean, on aggregate, uh, the rate of progress uh, compared to what we've seen in the last, you know, eight, 10 years needs to triple, in fact, to be able to provide people with universal access to electricity services by 2030. Well, that's not very encouraging news. What is what is encouraging is that, you know, you're, you're applying a different lens to the, the problem. And I think the conclusions that you're reaching are hopefully quite informative and increase the level of urgency within the development community about, about tackling this issue and tackling it not just based on a connection, uh, binary connection metric, but something that's more easy to apply and, and relevant to the, the actual lives of the people that we're talking about. Um, but you mentioned earlier, and I, I think maybe this is, you're alluding to it in terms of geospatial analysis, you mentioned that you know a lot of the alternative frameworks that are out there are, are what you call data needy. Um, and is geospatial uh, data the way to get around that somehow? How do you, how do you, is, is that sort of a component to this new framework that allows for you to do this in a, in a, a less data needy way? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think geospatial data can be a really good complement to existing indicator frameworks out there because particularly for data scarce regions, uh, it can give you a first, uh, uh, you know, first overview of hotspots, of areas of, of, of concern, of regions that need to be focused on more, more carefully. And, and I mean, I think there, there's been such a vast um, development in the geospatial data and analysis um, space that it, it's something that really needs to be tapped much more than it has been so far. Um, so, I mean, I won't say that we we can do away with these additional ways of collecting data. I mean, surveys are definitely going to continue to be needed. Um, but uh, the geospatial uh, data sets can certainly uh, complement our existing uh, uh, data 
sources and in particular uh, can provide this first uh, overview of areas where we might want to focus more. Um, you also talked about, um, you know, how the SDG 7 indicators are probably outdated. I think a lot of people would, would agree with that. Do you, is there a discussion now about updating those indicators? And, and do you think that this type of framework approach that you're taking could be used to help inform that? Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, that was sort of the purpose in in some ways for our work as well. I mean, there has been a lot of discussion about uh, expanding and improving on the indicator set for the SDGs. Uh, Of course, this is sort of a political issue as well, because it really means uh, all governments uh, who are signatories uh, or sort of have signed on to the SDGs have to kind of agree to that and then, of course, provide the data regularly for the tracking. Um, but, I mean, I do know that, uh, you know, there are several uh, efforts in place already to try to think about at least adding some simpler uh, additional indicators on things like reliability, how many hours do people get electricity in the day and and uh, so on. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, there will be uh, further developments in this in this space and particularly, you know, with the, the potential impacts of the coronavirus uh, outbreak and pandemic that we're experiencing now on, you know, the whole development efforts, uh, perhaps this provides some additional impetus. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, so I'm curious, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the SDGs indicators need to be signed on to by governments. Um, are you seeing any interest on the part of donors uh, and governments for your new framework and this approach you're taking? And, uh, it, and I'm also curious as a follow-up to that is, you know, what's next for this framework? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, we, we have closely collaborated with the World Bank in the past and, and uh, also tried to inform the development of the multi-tier framework. And so, you know, that conversation continues and hopefully um, our alternative framework can certainly uh, inform improvements uh, going forward and also be something that can be more widely um, taken up by governments. But this is a process that will obviously take time. I mean, our publication just came out. So it's a question of also communicating uh, what we've done and explaining the benefits of it. Uh, so in terms of next steps, actually, one of the things we are we are really planning to do fairly soon is, you know, we, we use this publication that just came out as a way of introducing the framework and then sort of testing it with a couple of countries. But we want to apply it more widely to a bigger set of countries. Uh, I think that will also help inform us better on things that we might need to improve within the framework. And also, it will give us more robust insight on how it compares with the, the other frameworks out there. So, yeah, that's something we are we are wanting to do fairly soon. So try to apply it to a larger set of countries and then try to take the lessons from that application on board. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's such a it's such a fascinating topic. And I, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour uh, just to answer all the questions in my head. But uh, I guess I'll have to wait for another time. In, in, in the meantime, are there is there 
Can you please tell our listeners where they should go to find out more information about this new framework? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the EASA website, which is www.iiasa.ac.at is a good source for all the information uh, and and the publications. We have a lot of data portals there. We have sort of web-based browsers, uh, web-based tools to really have a Uh, be able to dig deeper into some of this data and also to present the data. So I I really would encourage uh, those who are listening to this podcast, if they want to learn more, to go to the YASA website and and, uh, see see more about our publications there. Great. Shanali, thank you so much for for joining us today. Keep up the great work and um, we'll be following closely from Power for All. Thank you, William. And that's it today for this episode of the Power for All podcast. Thanks for listening.